And while you do that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for us. Father, um, I pray for strength to bring this message. Lord, I pray that, that your word would shoot true. Lord, that the hearts that you meant to be touched this morning by your word would be touched. That lives would be changed, not because of anything other than your word. Jesus, you prayed for us. You said that to the Father to sanctify us, to change us, to make us holy by the truth. And your word is truth. And so, Lord, we pray that you would sanctify us this morning just as, as, as Jesus, as you prayed. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Now, um, I did a 24-year Navy career, did, did several long deployments, and uh, it's interesting. Um, you probably already know this, but I have a, I, my wife's pretty hot. <laughs> but, uh, you know, when you go away for six months and you're on deployment and, and you come back and you're standing on the pier or I, we met at the airport one time um, when, when they, they let us meet in Hawaii, um, there's, there's hot and then there's smoking hot. And when we, after six months, yeah, she's really embarrassed. <laughs> I'm just telling you, after six months of being away, she was smoking hot. You see, there's something powerful about restoration of relationship that deepens the love and the attraction. There are some in here who have spent time behind bars. And you learn to treasure things when you've been locked away. When instead of being able to choose where you want to go and what you want to do, or having people who love you helping you to choose those things, when you have people who want to punish you, decide what it is you're going to do every day and what you're going to do that makes that taste of freedom. Recently on an episode of Bull, there was a guy who was let free after a long prison sentence that they found he was unjustly accused. And, he, and they said, what do you want to do? We'll, we'll take you anywhere. We'll go do anything. I just want to walk around. I just want to walk around. The little things of freedom mean something when you've lost it. Sometimes, when you think about it, we don't even realize we're behind bars. Sometimes we wear chains that we don't even recognize. They used to train the elephants by putting them on chains when they were young. And they would go and they would test the chain and over and over again, when they got to the limit of the chain, they stopped, they couldn't move any further. And as they grew, they became so accustomed to where they could go with those chains, they could actually take the stake out and the elephant would get to where the end of the chain would be and they would stop. Eventually, they could even take the chains off and the elephant wouldn't wander past that place. Because 
they were so used to the chains, the chains weren't even necessary to hold them there any longer. Some of us have been wearing chains so long that even when they come off, we're stuck right where we are. My question is, what does God have to say about that? Because you see, this morning, there are some of you that are struggling with chains that won't come off. There are some of you that you've never experienced the joy of a relationship with God. You see, in Genesis it said that He created us. And then it said that He walked in the cool of the garden, as was his habit. We were made to go for long walks in the cool of the garden with God. And we have forsaken that so we could be our own masters. There are some of us that live lives behind bars. We don't have freedom. And God has something to say about all of it. And that's what we're going to look at this, this morning is a story, and it's really about freedom. It's really about relationship. And my heart call is that this morning as you listen that you recognize the chains and you recognize the bars and you recognize the loneliness and you see that God has an answer for you. The story begins in Luke chapter 7. We're in verse 36. And it says, Then one of the Pharisees invited him to eat with him. He entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now, we often talk a lot about the fact that Jesus went and ate with Matthew and his family, with, with, with sinners, people who... But Jesus went and ate with Pharisees, too. He loved all. And so he accepts his invitation from Simon the Pharisee to come to his house, and he, and he goes in and he reclines at the table. Now, this is a very normal practice that he would... The Pharisee would invite Jesus, and we're going to find in a moment that he had a motive for inviting Jesus to dinner, and he invites him in, and they sit, they recline at the table. The way they would eat is they would have benches, and they would recline on their sides at the tables, and they would, they would sit on their sides, and they'd reach over, and their feet would be away from the table, and their heads would be towards the table. And oftentimes, they would leave the doors open, and people from the community could come in and and gather around and, and, and be observers of the dinner and hear the conversation. And so there was very likely a handful of people standing around the corner watching this meal. They would all have been people who were comfortable walking into Simon the Pharisee's house. They would have been respectable individuals who weren't going to feel the judgment of this Pharisee for their walking in. And they, too, are there to hear what Jesus has to say. 
Now, during the middle of that, a woman in the town who was a sinner, okay, let me translate that, prostitute, okay? A woman who, in the town who was a sinner or a prostitute, found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of fragrant oil and stood behind him at his feet. I'm going to stop there for a second. She shouldn't have been there. Because you see, she didn't belong in the house of a Pharisee because she was a prostitute. She would not have felt comfortable walking in there. Church, we have to ask ourselves, are we a place that she would have felt comfortable walking into or would she have only come in there under the direst of circumstances? See, we need to ask ourselves at this dinner, are we Jesus or are we Simon the Pharisee? Are we the one that would cause someone to overcome their fears of what it costs to go into our house and spend time with us because there's hope? Or are we going to be the Pharisee that keeps people out because they don't feel they're worthy? That's a decision we have to make, church. Who are we going to be? I know who I think you are. And of that, I'm very grateful. But here she is. She's, she's risked coming into the house because she's heard a message from Jesus. Now, Without getting too far ahead here, I want to I make sure you understand something. There's something that's already happened in her life. It's going to become evident as Jesus starts to tell a parable that something has already happened, but he's going to state it there in the moment because it's important for you to know this because you have to understand what her response is about. Why is she there? And she's coming with an alabaster jar, which was an expensive container of perfume. So she is coming with the only gift she has, and she probably earned it through her sinful lifestyle. Now let's back up a little bit, and let's, let's look at the culture of the time. In this culture, women rarely had an opportunity for employment. Oftentimes, as a matter of fact, Jesus chastises the Pharisees for issuing, for, for divorcing their wives without giving them a certificate of divorce, which meant that if they, re, under their laws, if they remarried without that certificate of divorce, that they were considered adulteresses. And so, if you're, and there was a whole school of the Pharisees who taught that you can divorce your wife for unfaithfulness. And that unfaithfulness to them was anything that she disappointed you with. If she burnt your food, you could say you're an unfaithful wife and divorce her. And in your cruelty, not give her a certificate of divorce, which meant that she had no recourse to remarry. And if she could not get a job, that means she had two ways to survive. She could beg or prostitute. And so we do not know how she got to be where she is, but in all likelihood, it was not her first choice in life. 
And here she stands with these chains of her sin, imprisoned by a life that she doesn't have freedom to choose out of relationship with God and His people. And she weeps. And as Jesus' feet are away from the table and she weeps, her tears fall on His feet. And she begins to wash His feet with her tears. She wiped His feet with her hair. Now, a respectable woman would never let her hair down in public. And so the mere fact that she takes her hair down and begins to wash Jesus' feet is an act of utter humility before God. And she begins to kiss them and anoint them with this expensive perfume. She's honoring Him as a king, anointing Him and kissing His feet. In her shame, she honors Him. As she humbles herself, she lifts Him up. What would make a person do such a thing? To shame themselves, to bear the burden. For his honor. It's a question we've got to ask. Because the question for this is what would it take for you to humble yourself, to even take on shame for yourself in order to glorify Jesus Christ? What would it take for you to be at that place? Well, I'll tell you this. Simon's true character comes out at this point. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who, who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She's a sinner. So now we get to see who Simon really is. First off, why did he invite Jesus? Because he's hearing all about all these miracles and he's, he's hearing about these teachings and people are calling him a prophet. So he says, okay, let me, let me spend some time with him and see if he really is a prophet. But it wasn't because he was hoping he would be a prophet. It was because he really wanted to prove that he wasn't. And so the very first thing he does when Jesus comes in and he sits and, and this happens is he immediately pronounces his judgment. He is not a prophet because if he was, he would know what this woman is doing. He would, be able, he would know who she was intuitively because God would tell him and he would not let her touch him. And in the same process, he pronounces his judgment on the woman, this woman who is a sinner, who is to be rejected and reviled and have no place among God's people. And I love what Jesus does. Jesus replied to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Now get this. Simon was pronounced him not a prophet because he didn't know who this woman was and what she did. 
So Jesus says, Simon, I just read your thoughts. Let, I have something to say to you. I am a prophet. Huh. Simon's going to get a little uncomfortable before this is all said and done. Simon's reply, teacher, which by the way is a sign of respect, but I think you're going to find here pretty soon that you realize it is not meant. Say it. A creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, and, and a denarii is about one day's labor for a farm, farm worker. So one, one guy owns, owes about 500 days of work, and an, the other 50. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Okay, so I want you to put yourself in Simon's spot. You invited Jesus to your house, really to prove to yourself that he wasn't a prophet. You, he's, he's a guest, but he's not really an honored guest in your midst. And then he reads your mind. And he tells you a parable. And you're a smart guy. You see where this is going. And Jesus just turned the tables on you and put you on the spot. He said, okay, somebody's forgiven a small debt and somebody's forgiven a large debt. Which one's going to love more? It's important for you to see that because it really kind of colors Simon's spot. Simon answered, well... I suppose the one he forgave more, right? Simon knows the answer. Well, of course, the one who forgave was given. No, well, I suppose the one who's forgiven more because he knows he is painted into a corner of his own making. And Jesus replied to him, you have judged correctly. Then he drives the nail home. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet. Now, Jesus is going to walk through a bunch of things Simon didn't do. Now, let me clarify something. Courtesy did not require him to do any of the things that Jesus is going to accuse him of not doing. But honor did. Him not doing any of these things would not have been uncourteous. But none of them, but in not doing them, it showed that Jesus was not someone of honor in his midst. It was not somebody who was dear to him or important to him. He was a guest in Simon's house, but he was not a friend. And they did not have a relationship and he was not to be honored. He just came in to dine. And folks, I know a lot of people who go to church every single Sunday. That's exactly their relationship with Jesus Christ. He's welcome in the house, but he will not receive honor. He is welcome in the house, 
but he's not going to be my close friend. He is welcome in the house, but I will not lower myself to raise him up. My encouragement to you to this morning is this, is that you look on your heart and you say, is that who I've been? And recognize it's not who you have to be. That you can repent from that and find a different place. Let's look what the woman did. Simon, I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she with her tears has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You didn't even do the thing of having your slaves provide for me water to wash the dust from walking off my feet, which would have been something you would have done if you loved me. She humbled herself and embarrassed herself by crying on my feet and lowering her hair and wiping them. When you couldn't even provide a servant to come wash my feet, she humiliated herself to do so. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't even give me the courtesy of the kiss of friendship, and she's giving me the anointing of a king, the respect and honor. You gave me You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Simon was acceptable in the eyes of others, but could not honor Jesus. She was unacceptable in the eyes of people and did everything to honor him. When we live lives that are self-righteous, we become like Simon. We don't even recognize the bars that keep us hidden and locked away. We don't even recognize the chains that keep us locked in a place. We don't even recognize the fact that we have no relationship with God. And it's because we think we're better than that. But when you recognize that you are a sinner, that you are broken and unacceptable, and your only hope is in Jesus Christ, you will do anything to come to Him. You will do anything to honor Him. You will debase yourself however necessary to lift Him up. Because when you realize, when He gives you forgiveness and you recognize all that he's forgiven you for and how undeserving you are and how broken you are you can't help but love him enough to do whatever it takes to be with him and to honor him and give him glory 
Jesus turns and he says, Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. See, she had already encountered Jesus before she came in. Her tears were not tears of grief. They were tears of gratitude. Because she recognized her chains. She recognized her rejection by the faith community and that she didn't belong in Simon's house or in the temple or worshiping God. She recognized those things. And yet she had heard the message that Jesus preached, repent and be forgiven and all her sins were taken away. And from that came this incredible act of love for her Savior. See, I, I love math. You know, I used to be in science and I love this. Great forgiveness equals great love. And here's the kicker. For those of you that are out there trying to grind it out, and you're trying to do what God would have you to do, and you just, oh, I'm going to do this, and you're working at it really hard, and you're failing over and over and over and over again. Because you're trying to do it in your flesh. You're like Simon. If I just look right and act right and do the right thing, then everything will be great. You've got it all backwards. You're going from a place, I'm going to be obedient, therefore I'm going to love, and therefore I'm going to be forgiven. If I do the right thing, then I will be loved by God, and then I will be forgiven. And that's exactly the opposite of what God tells us. He says, come to me broken. Recognize that you don't have fellowship with me. Recognize you're in chains. Recognize you're in jail. Recognize you're guilty. And I will forgive you. And I will restore you. We will walk in the cool of the garden again together. I will set you free from those chains. That addiction that has you locked in and unable to move from where you are. That you keep coming back to over and over and over again. I will take those chains off and we will go for a walk together. That hurt, that fear, that anxiety, that struggle that keeps you locked in a cage... I will open the door and give you forgiveness and we will go for a walk together. It begins with forgiveness. And because you're forgiven, you love much. In John 1, 5, 3, it says that, those, that this, is, this is love to God, that we obey His commands. And so now you, you obey His commands. You do what He wants you to do, but Why? Because you love Him. It's a joy. It's an act of trust. It's, a, it's an act of celebration of your relationship, of your walk with Him. But you can't experience that unless you experience 
forgiveness. Until you recognize that you're in chains. Until you recognize you're in jail. Until you recognize that you don't have a relationship with him. And you come to him pleading, Lord, forgive me. You can't love. And if you can't love, you can't obey. You know, this letter was written to a guy named Theophilus. He was a Roman, I'm looking for the right word here, um, official, basically. And Luke was trying to convince him of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And here's, here's a key point. Jesus Christ could not give you the forgiveness that you need Unless he was God. Because it's God whom we have wronged and only God who can forgive us. And so this is an important message to us. Because then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? Because even they knew that only God could forgive sins. And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You see, and it's not her great faith. It's the fact that she came to the feet of Jesus and because he is faithful and he is able and he is capable, even the smallest, tiniest faith in him is sufficient because he is able so you don't have to have this great urge of will this great movement of faith you just have to be broken enough to look up and go i need you i need you that little spark of faith in a faithful god is all that's required and I love the way the math ends. Great forgiveness equals great love equals great obedience. And what does he end with? Go in peace. He offers you the peace of God. A peace that passes all understanding a peace that says even in the midst of all the trials and tribulations of life you can have confidence in him and you can be at peace and you can live life daily in the joy of walking in the cool of the garden with him his peace but if you find yourself loving little you'll know that your obedience will be little. It's because you don't recognize your chains. So this morning, I'm going to ask, as we close, are you ready to cast off those chains? Are you tired of being chained and locked to that sin? Are you tired of gossip and addiction and anger, and anxiety, and fear being your masters 
and telling you what to do and what not to do. If so, just have the tiniest bit of faith that He has the power as God to forgive you for your sins, to cleanse you from all unrighteousness, to make you wholly acceptable to come and walk with Him in the cool of the garden. Have that tiniest bit of faith and come and let Him forgive you. And cast off those chains and open that door for you and set you free. Because when your faith and your salvation is rooted in that, you will love much and obedience will be a natural overflow of a heart overflowing with love because it's overflowing with gratitude. And your tears will be those of thankfulness and not pain and regret and suffering. Pastor Matt and I are going to be right over here as we have the invitation. If this morning your heart is, whether you're, you've had Jesus living in your house and you've never treated Him as an honored guest, whether you're in chains and you want, you want to be set free, you come and talk with us and let us pray with you this morning and, work, and, and let's just join together in wrestling through this. And when we're done, we're going to bless the food and we're going to go over here and we're going to watch our brothers celebrate the freedom of one of our own. Someone who's accepted the fact that he's forgiven and that love has started already overflowing into obedience.